Hello, and welcome back to the Historia Dramatica podcast. I'm your host, Willem Kahn. As always, thank you very much for listening. In the last episode of our series on the Meiji Restoration, we continued to cover the fallout from the arrival of Commodore Matthew Perry to Japan in the year 1853. This pivotal event set off two decades of internal strife within Japan, a country that had been closed to the rest of the world since 1615. In the wake of Perry's arrival, two main schools of political thought emerged as to how best to deal with the threat posed by the Western imperial powers. One school of thought held that the old laws of isolation should be abandoned immediately, and that the country should be made open to foreign trade and diplomatic relations. Those who were of this opinion tended to agree with the foreign policy of the Tokugawa shogunate, the central government of which was known as the Bakufu. The other school of thought held that the foreigners, all of whom were barbarians in the estimations of most Japanese people, should be expelled from the country by means of overwhelming military force. Those who espoused this doctrine began to rally around the Emperor of Japan, who, being confined to the imperial court at Kyoto for his entire life, was, by his nature, extremely xenophobic. Those who wished to expel the barbarians believed that they were carrying out the emperor's will, and thus the slogan of expel the barbarians, or joy in Japanese, became inexorably linked with revere the emperor, or sono. In the years following Commodore Matthew Perry's arrival, the foreign powers continued to sign unfair treaties with Japan, starting with the 1858 Harris Treaty with the United States. It would not be long before the other foreign powers, the British, French, Dutch, and Russians, got in on the action as well, each concluding treaties of their own. The Japanese began to watch their worst dreams become realized. Japan was now on track to sharing the same fate of China, a semi-colonial holding of the Western powers. The unequal treaties enabled Western traders to use exploitative economic practices against the Japanese people. Thus, the Japanese people increasingly resented the arrogance of the foreigners, who had no respect whatsoever for their traditions and laws. In the years following the signing of the Harris Treaty, imperial loyalists espousing the Sonojoy ideology unleashed a campaign of terroristic assassinations against the hated foreigners and their Japanese collaborators. In 1860, Regent Ie Naosuke, the most powerful man in the Bakufu, was assassinated by a band of 16 ronin belonging to the domains of Mito and Satsuma. Ie's crime had been granting his approval to the Harris Treaty and purging from government any who dissented from his foreign policy position. This assassination was followed by the assassinations of several ranking Bakufu officials who had collaborated with Ie Naosuke in the previous months. At the same time, seven foreign citizens in Japan were assassinated in as many months, but it was one such murder that raised the ire of the Western governments. On September 14, 1862, a British merchant named Charles Lennox Richardson was traveling from the foreign settlement at Yokohama to Edo when he encountered the massive armed retinue of Shimazu Hisamitsu, the de facto daimyo, or lord, of the Satsuma domain. When Richardson failed to dismount his horse and make way for the daimyo's procession, the Satsuma bodyguards cut him down in cold blood. The brazen murder of a British civilian in broad daylight was the cause for indignation on the part of the British government. They demanded that Satsuma hand over those responsible for Richardson's murder, and pay £25,000 in indemnities. However, Hisamitsu stubbornly refused. He continued to do so until mid-August 1863, when a British naval squadron arrived outside his stronghold at Kagoshima. The British attempted to negotiate with Satsuma, but when it became clear that the negotiations were going nowhere, 
the British seized three of their merchant vessels, looted and burned them, at which point Satsuma unleashed a volley of fire on the British squadron, killing seven. The British then retaliated by bombarding the city of Kagoshima, reducing a large swath of the city to rubble and flames. However, the Satsuma cannons kept the pressure on the British ships, and they eventually retreated, enabling Satsuma to claim victory. Meanwhile, thanks to some internal power struggles, the details of which I won't get into at this moment, the Emperor was feeling emboldened to make a foray into politics, which he had been largely unable to do for the past 250 years, sidelined as he was by the Shogun. In March 1863, he ordered the Shogun to expel the barbarians by force within the year. The Bakufu itself refused to take on this duty, thinking that it was national suicide. But the domains, specifically Choshu, one of the three hotbeds of imperial loyalism alongside Setsuma and Tosa, dutifully carried out the emperor's orders, and, starting on June 25th, they closed off the strategically crucial straits of Shimonoseki to foreign shipping, and attacked any foreign vessel that came through, be it American, French, or Dutch. All of their merchant ships fell victim to Choshu's artillery batteries firing at them from the shore. In response, the United States dispatched a warship to the Straits of Shimonoseki. In the ensuing battle, the American warship managed to damage four of Choshu's shore batteries, killing at least 40 Choshu samurai before withdrawing. Mere days later, the French launched their own punitive expedition. This time, the French accompanied their bombardment of the shore with a ground assault. The French quickly overpowered the Choshu samurai and proceeded to loot and burn a nearby village before retreating. These humiliating defeats suffered by Choshu and Satsuma in the year 1863 should have served to convince everyone in Japan of the futility of a military confrontation against the Western powers. It should have been clear to everyone at this point, proponents of opening the country and of expelling the barbarians alike, that Japan needed to modernize and fast if it was to stand any chance against the Western powers in an open war. Indeed, the emperor himself had begun to recognize this, and walked back his expulsion of the barbarians' decree, now content to allow the Bakufu to merely open negotiations with the Western powers in order to close the treaty ports through diplomatic channels. Choshu, however, obstinately continued its resistance against both the imperial court and the Bakufu. For this, Choshu and their allies were expelled from the court in September 1863, but they continued to close the Straits of Shimonoseki to foreign powers, in flagrant defiance of the orders of the Bakufu. Clearly, something had to be done before Choshu's actions provoked a war with the Western powers. However, a series of loyalist insurrections in mid-1864 temporarily diverted the Bakufu's attention from rebellious Choshu. The first occurred in Yamato, the second in Tajima, but the most important of these occurred in Mito province. Whereas the uprisings in Yamato and Tajima were more or less spontaneous uprisings by peasants, the rebellion in Mito had been planned for some time, and had the backing of the samurai class. Mito had been a focal point of loyalist political actions in the past. The late Tokugawa Nariaki, an early advocate of Sono Joi, was the daimyo of Mito. More recently, it was from Mito that the assassins of Ie Naosuke had come from. Mito might even be counted amidst Choshu, Satsuma, and Tosa as one of the most important hotbeds of loyalist sentiment in Japan. Although Mito differed from these domains in one crucial way. While Choshu, Satsuma, and Tosa were all Tozama daimyo, who had a long standing grudge against the Bakufu, the Mito domain was controlled by a cadet branch of the Tokugawa clan. Thus, Mito's official interests were closely intertwined with those of the Bakufu, and thus, it could never make a clean and total break with the Bakufu like the others could. 
In the winter of 1863 and 1864, the Lower Samurai of Mito, led by Fujita Koshiro and Takeda Koinsai, recruited a massive peasant army with the intention of marching on the foreign settlement of Yokohama and raising it to the ground. As they advanced towards Yokohama, they issued missives to various individuals at the imperial court, including Tokugawa Yoshinobu, whose father was Tokugawa Nariaki. In the missive sent to Yoshinobu, they implored him to exercise filial piety towards his late father. However, Yoshinobu would have none of it. He began mobilizing a shogunate force of 10,000 strong to deal with the rebels. Mobilization was slow going, however, and in the meantime, the rebels defeated a much larger shogunate force of 6,500 at Nakimanato. The rebels were delayed in their march on Yokohama by the more moderate elements of the Mito domain, who waged a civil war against them as they desperately petitioned Edo for assistance. It was not until December of 1864 that Tokugawa Yoshinobu's main force caught up with the rebels and crushed them in battle. The Bakufu showed no mercy to the men who surrendered. 400 were executed, including both of the leaders, while hundreds more were exiled or imprisoned. While Yoshinobu and the Bakufu were distracted by these uprisings in Yamato, Tajima, and Mito, the radicals of Choshu plotted to do the unthinkable. The plan was as follows. Under the cover of night, a squad of ronin would set fire to the imperial palace in Kyoto. In the ensuing confusion, they would break into the burning palace, assassinate Tokugawa Yoshinobu, and kidnap the emperor. Once the emperor had been captured, they would spirit him away to Choshu, where he would then appoint the daimyo of Choshu as the imperial protector, thereby winning back Choshu's control over the court. Before these Choshu radicals could put their devious plan into action, however, the Shinsengumi, the shogun's new elite samurai counterterrorism police unit, discovered the plot. They arrested one of the ringleaders, who, under pain of torture, gave up the location of the remaining conspirators, the Ikedaya Inn in Kyoto. Thirty officers of the Shinsengumi moved to raid the inn and arrest the twenty or so rebels within. It was late at night, and the conspirators were caught completely off guard. Eight were killed in the ensuing combat, while the remaining twelve fled through the back door. Some committed seppuku rather than being taken alive, while others were arrested by the Shinsengumi shortly afterwards. News of the failed coup reached Choshu quickly. The daimyo of Choshu dispatched an army of 1,700 men to Kyoto to protest the domain's innocence. They surrounded the gates of the imperial palace. However, this move was not unprecedented. A large contingent of Satsuma samurai were guarding the palace that night. A tense standoff ensued at the Hanaguri Gate. Fighting broke out early in the morning of August 20th between the Choshu forces and the forces defending the imperial palace. In the course of the fighting, bullets fired by the Choshu samurai struck the side of the building containing the imperial throne. Tokugawa Yoshinobu himself described the scene within the imperial palace, quote, When I reached the vicinity of the gate, someone shot at me with a rifle. I had to withdraw deeper into the palace. Court nobles, their headdresses wrapped up in sashes, were frantically running around. Palace guards, clad in full armor, wielding swords and spears, wandered about, waiting for the order to take the fight to the aggressors. End quote. With the emperor's safety in danger, Tokugawa Yoshinobu moved to take decisive action. He assumed command over the men guarding the palace and ordered his artillery to bombard the Takatsukasa residence, where the Choshu were holed up. The bombardment was followed by an all-out assault on the building, where the Choshu samurai fought valiantly but were severely outnumbered. 400 of them lay dead by 3 in the afternoon that day, while only some 60 imperial guardsmen were killed. The army of Choshu, nursing their wounded egos, slunk back to their domain. The worst damage was to Kyoto itself. 
In the course of the fighting, a fire started which quickly spread throughout the city, mostly made out of wood. Official estimates placed the number of buildings destroyed by that fire at 28,000. This whole affair is known to historians as the Kinmon Incident. Choshu's blatant aggression during this incident had potentially endangered the safety of the emperor, practically an act of high treason. Choshu had earned the distinction of enemy of the emperor, and now practically all of Japan wished to see them chastised. Immediately following the Kinmon Incident, the Bakufu put out a call to 23 different clans to assemble their armies for a punitive expedition against Choshu. Concurrently to this, a multinational squadron consisting of nine British, three Dutch, one American, and four French ships assembled in Edo Bay with the intention to attack Choshu, so as to reopen the Straits of Shimonoseki to foreign shipping. The foreign powers were eager to punish Choshu for its insolence, but at the same time were anxious to avoid a war with the Bakufu, so they informed the Bakufu in advance of their plans. The Bakufu did nothing in its power to avert an attack by foreigners on its own sovereign territory. The Bakufu not only tacitly agreed to the Western powers' plans, but actively aided them, providing them with maps of the area surrounding Shimonoseki. And so it was that the punitive campaigns of the Bakufu and the foreign powers coincided with each other in September of 1864. Choshu had been preparing for this eventuality, however. It had been steadily building up its strength since it was first expelled from the imperial court in the coup of September 1863. Standing alone as the last beacon of Sonojoy ideology and radical imperial loyalism, Choshu attracted loyalist partisans from across Japan, including the surviving leaders of the 1864 rebellions in Yamato, Tajima, and Mito. Choshu quickly sought to rebuild and update its military in the wake of their defeat by the foreign powers at the First Battle of Shimonoseki. Choshu rebuilt its destroyed artillery batteries and built more. They initiated military reforms, which involved the creation of new military units, consisting of a mix of peasants and samurai. Choshu had no shortage of willing recruits, given the steady stream of loyalist refugees streaming into the domain. The most prominent of these new military units was the Kiheitai, meaning Irregular Regiment. The Kiheitai was made up mainly of peasant recruits and lower-class samurai, although within its ranks there were no distinctions made between the classes. What really set the Kiheitai apart, however, was the fact that it was equipped in the Western style and trained along Western guidelines. The organizing principles of the Kiheitai would prove to be very influential on Japanese military organization in the future, not only in the civil war that was soon to follow, but also well into the Meiji era itself. All of Choshu's preparation could not have saved it from the coming storm, however. An attack from either the foreign powers or from the Bakufu, Choshu believed it could manage, but both at the same time was a different story altogether. On September 5th, the Allied squadron that had assembled in Edo Bay arrived at Shimonoseki and unleashed volley after volley of fire upon the shore. Choshu's main artillery batteries were destroyed within a matter of minutes. Nevertheless, the Choshu warriors kept up the fight for four whole days. On the second day of fighting, 2,000 Allied troops landed ashore to engage 2,000 Choshu soldiers. The Choshu soldiers fought valiantly, but they were severely outgunned. The Allied soldiers wrecked the remainder of Choshu's cannon batteries once ashore. As the battle slagged on, the Kiheitai commander ordered his spearmen to charge the enemy lines in a final desperate attack. They were slaughtered almost to a man. After four days of intense fighting, the Choshu surrendered and were forced to the negotiating table. As per the terms of the settlement conducted between Choshu and the Western powers, Choshu was forbidden to repair their coastal artillery batteries or to construct new ones. 
they were forced to reopen the Straits of Shimonoseki to foreign shipping, and to pay the equivalent of $3 million in reparations. The stated reason for the indemnity was that it was a ransom for the town of Shimonoseki, which the foreign powers claimed was well within their rights to raise to the ground. The real reason for the indemnity, however, was to raise the pressure on the Bakufu to allow for the treaty ports to remain open, because it was well known that the Bakufu would be unable to foot the bill. With that business out of the way, it was now the Bakufu's turn to exact vengeance upon Choshu. The same day as the Third Battle of Shimonoseki began, the Bakufu force assembled at Osaka set out for Choshu, led by the shogun Iemochi himself. Twenty-two different domains, including Satsuma, were represented in the punitive force of 15,000. Given the current state of Choshu's defenses, they could not have possibly hoped to hold out against the shogunate forces for long. Fortunately, Choshu was spared the worst humiliation thanks to the intercession of Saigo Takamori of Satsuma. Saigo was one of the radical loyalist leaders in Satsuma, and in the decade following Perry's expedition, he had made quite a reputation for himself as one of the most fierce, charismatic advocates of imperial restoration within the Satsuma domain. He and his more moderate lord, Shimazu Hisamitsu, had somewhat of a rocky relationship, but ultimately Saigo's massive popularity within Satsuma meant that he always had the daimyo's ear. Now, he made his entry into national politics as a staff officer in the Choshu punitive expedition. There had been bad blood between Choshu and Satsuma for some time now. In general, Choshu's radicalism did not gel well with Satsuma's moderation. Ever since the coup of September 1863, Choshu and Satsuma had been at each other's throats, jockeying for influence at the imperial court. Satsuma had ample reason to see Choshu crushed right then and there, but at the last moment, Saigo Takamori spoke up as the voice of reason. In the wake of the Third Battle of Shimonoseki, Choshu was on the brink of civil war, as radical lower-class samurai, represented by the irregular military units such as the Kiheitai, moved against the more conservative forces in control of the domain's government. Saigo believed that it made no sense for the Bakufu to waste their precious military strength fighting Choshu, when Choshu could basically fight itself. Saigo proposed such a course of action to the shogun, who authorized him to negotiate with the Choshu government on his behalf. Under the terms presented by Saigo, Choshu was to hand over the seven men deemed most culpable for the attack on the imperial palace and issue a formal apology for the incident. They were also made to work to disband the irregular military units that had become such a source of contention. Choshu's government had little choice but to accept. The Bakufu was more or less content with this outcome, and so the expedition was officially called off and its armies marched off back to their various domains. However, the domain's government ultimately proved unable to suppress the radical irregular military units. The commander of the Kiheitai, the charismatic Takasugi Shinsaku, with only a dozen or so companions, resolved to wage a personal war against the Choshu government. On the night of February 6, 1865, Takasugi led his companions in an attack against the government entrepot in Shimonoseki, seizing arms, munitions, and money. From there, they went to the docks and seized three modern warships made in the Western style. As Takasugi and his companions won victories against the government forces, former militiamen, as well as lower-class samurai, peasants, and merchants from the surrounding countryside flocked to his banner. Before long, Takasugi had an army of 2,000. The rebels encountered a government force of a similar size just south of the domain's capital of Hagi. Takasugi himself described the scene thusly, quote, the gunfire amid the war cry of the troops was like thunder. Heaven and earth shook. The enemy offered no resistance. They threw down their arms and scattered in all directions. 
end quote. On March 12th, Takasugi's rebel army marched into the prefectural seat of Hagi. The conservative ministers of the Choshu government were arrested, and many were executed. The victory of Takasugi and his rebel companions in the brief Choshu civil war ensured that the radicals would cling on to power in Choshu, despite the attempts by both the foreign powers and the Bakufu to dislodge them. Once more, the new Choshu government was now acting actively hostile to the Bakufu. Faced with the reality that diplomacy had failed, Bakufu leadership called for a second punitive expedition against Choshu, the week after the rebel seized power. This time, the Bakufu was resolved to extract the punishment on Choshu that they had originally planned to do before Saigo Takamori's timely intervention. However, unlike the first Choshu expedition, this second expedition was widely opposed by the domains, especially Satsuma, which told the Bakufu flat out that it would not provide its troops to do its bidding. Satsuma had come to see this punitive expedition for what it was, an opportunity for the Bakufu to reassert its authority over the domains. What's more is that the Bakufu had more or less completely embraced the doctrine of Fukoku Kyohei, enriched the country, strengthened the army. The Bakufu approached France, hoping to foster military and economic cooperation. French capital and technicians were used to construct an iron foundry and armory in Edo, and it was hoped that France would dispatch a military mission to Japan in order to assist the Bakufu in its efforts to reform its armies. In other words, Satsuma decision-makers thought the Bakufu was growing too powerful, and it was feared that, once Choshu had been dealt with, it would not be long before it would bring said military prowess to bear upon themselves. At the same time, Satsuma was undergoing an initiative of its own to advance the cause of Fukoku Kyohei within its domain. A Satsuma man named Godai Tomoatsu, having been sent on a fact-finding mission to Europe, returned to Kagoshima with a whole slate of suggestions for reforms. He told Shimazu Hisamitsu and his ministers that Japan must construct a fleet of modern Western-style ships. Education had to be reformed to place greater emphasis on Western academic subjects, mostly military science. Most importantly, Japan had to purchase large amounts of powerful weapons from the Western powers. In order to pay for these reforms, some trade had to be carried out between Japan and the West. To that end, Japan had to build up its industry to produce products for export. Hisamitsu was impressed by these recommendations and ordered his ministers to carry out most of these reforms at the level of the domain. Industrial equipment was imported, factories were opened, goods were exported, guns were purchased, all within the course of one year. The Bakufu had to be watching these developments going on in Satsuma with a mix of concern and indignance. After all, it was the Bakufu that theoretically had all authority on matters economic and diplomatic. So the Bakufu also feared the prospect of Satsuma growing too powerful, just as Satsuma feared the same of the Bakufu. By the same token, Satsuma's new policy of pursuing economic and military independence from the Bakufu aligned its interests closer to those of their erstwhile rivals in Choshu. An alliance between Satsuma and Choshu against the Bakufu was becoming a real possibility, but it would not come to pass until 1866. Prospects for the shogunate's expedition against Choshu were not looking good. Satsuma was not alone in its opposition towards a second expedition. In fact, the Bakufu was struggling to rally the domains to its banner. Many daimyo opposed the expedition on the grounds that it was a wasteful endeavor that would only serve to repair the Bakufu's bruised ego, and, what's more, the Bakufu was really running the risk of inciting a civil war. Still, the shogun was able to muster an army of about 100,000 men, mainly from the loyal Fudai daimyo. But morale was low at the army's camp in Osaka, 
leading Satsuma decision-makers to write off the threat to stability that the expedition posed. At the same time, foreign entanglements brought the Bakufu's war plans to a screeching halt. When the Allied foreign powers forced Choshu to pay that massive indemnity equivalent to 3 million US dollars, they did so with the full knowledge that it would be the Bakufu, not Choshu, that would be forced to foot the bill, and that they did not have the ability to do so. So when the Bakufu failed to pay the first installment of the indemnity, the foreign powers shrewdly agreed to repudiate two-thirds of the debt if Japan agreed to open the remaining treaty ports. Realizing that the Bakufu would be reluctant to open the ports, Britain then moved to force their hand. Instead of relying on the Bakufu's cooperation, British diplomats now sought the Emperor's approval of the unequal treaty. As I'm sure I've made a point of saying before, the very notion of foreigners negotiating with the Emperor directly was simply unthinkable. The strategy of negotiating directly with the Emperor had multiple purposes. For one, having captured a cache of Japanese documents during the Shimonoseki campaigns, the British had discovered that the Emperor was the focal point of anti-foreign sentiment in Japan. If they could get him to disavow this position by granting his approval to the treaties, anti-foreign sentiment in Japan would be effectively neutralized, allowing the British to conduct their business within the country unmolested. Secondly, British officials must have recognized that the days of the shogunate were numbered. Therefore, they sought to nurture relations with the Bakufu's opponents, including Choshu and Satsuma, as well within the imperial court, so that when civil war did break out, the British would already have strong relations with the new chief political powers within Japan. Britain's rivals, France, likely also realized the perilous position of the shogunate, but reached the opposite conclusion. Having already cultivated military and political ties with the Bakufu, France wished to prop up the shogunate so that their allies would remain in positions of power. So while America and the Netherlands gave their approval to Britain's plan to bypass the Bakufu and to go right to the emperor, France dissented, at least initially. Britain's plan produced the intended result, however, Ultimately, there was no need for them to go to Kyoto themselves because the Bakufu, dreading the prospect of foreigners being in the emperor's presence, applied the appropriate pressure to the imperial court, which resulted in the emperor granting his official approval to the unequal treaties. The Bakufu had hoped that being granted the imperial seal of approval would shore up relations with the domain, but it had the exact opposite effect, at least as far as Satsuma was concerned. Satsuma believed that the imperial edict to open the ports was, in the words of Saiko Takamori, quote, contrary to justice, for an imperial order that is against justice is not an imperial order and need not be obeyed, end quote. For one, those in Satsuma recognized that this decision was not that of the emperor alone, but rather that of the Bakufu, which had unilaterally bypassed all the domains in order to enact their political will, the will to collaborate with the foreigners, no less. There was an increasing belief within Satsuma that the Bakufu could not be relied upon to provide national defense in the event of war against the foreign powers, as evidenced by its machinations against Choshu and its own collaboration with the foreign powers. Thus, it fell to Satsuma and the other domains to redouble their efforts towards national defense, to carry out Fukoku Kyohei, enrich the country, strengthen the army. In light of recent events, a new phrase had become increasingly associated with the slogan of Fukoku Kyohei, Tobaku, or Down with the Bakufu. Overthrowing the Bakufu came to be seen as a means to enrich the country and strengthen the army. Given recent developments, the prospect of an alliance between erstwhile rivals Choshu and Satsuma against the Bakufu did not seem nearly as far-fetched as it would have just two years prior. And, as it just so happened, 
one man had been working towards this end for quite some time, Sakamoto Ryoma, a ronin formerly of this Tosa domain. Sakamoto Ryoma is quite an interesting character. As I said, early in his life he had sworn allegiance to the Tosa domain. He had become an early supporter of the Sonojoi movement and was very active in the Tosa loyalist movement. He was a close friend of Takechi Hanpieta, the man who had orchestrated the assassination of Tosa's regent, Yoshida Toyo, and subsequently orchestrated the campaign of terroristic assassinations that had rocked the imperial capital in 1862. Sakamoto eventually split from Takechi due to differences of political opinion. That same year, Sakamoto left the domain, becoming a ronin, and headed for Kyoto, to associated with like-minded imperial loyalists. Sakamoto's deeply held anti-foreign sentiments led him to oppose any influences he perceived as being modernizing or westernizing. This was, of course, before the battles of Kagoshima and Shimonoseki had convinced most Sonojoi advocates of the urgent need for modernization. It is for this reason that Sakamoto had attempted to assassinate Katsu Kaishu. Katsu was one of Japan's earliest and foremost proponents of modernization. Having been convinced of the need for it, essentially from the very moment that Commodore Perry had arrived in Edo Bay. Katsu was one of the first students at the Nagasaki Naval Academy, which was founded by the Bakufu in 1855 in an effort to modernize Japan's navy. Katsu quickly learned the ropes and became the captain of Japan's first modern naval vessel, the Kanrin Maru. It was Katsu that had captained the first government-sanctioned overseas mission in the history of the Tokugawa shogunate, escorting a diplomatic mission from Japan to the United States. When the Nagasaki Naval Academy was shuttered in 1859, Katsu went on to found and direct the Kobe Naval Training Center in 1864. Anyway, Sakamoto Ryoma sought to assassinate Katsu Kaishu for what he perceived as being his negative influence upon the country. Sakamoto failed in his mission. His target was able to then persuade Sakamoto of the necessity for Japan to modernize in the face of the foreign threat, after which the heretofore aimless ronin Sakamoto became Katsu's apprentice. In 1865, Sakamoto relocated to the Satsuma domain, where anti-Bakufu sentiment was on the rise. Sakamoto became convinced of the need for the domains to band together against the Bakufu. If two of the most powerful domains, Satsuma and Choshu, could put aside their long-standing rivalry, they could easily unite against the Bakufu and restore the supremacy of the emperor. Sakamoto's opportunity came in the spring of 1865, when Saigo Takamori opted to negotiate with Choshu in advance of the Bakufu's first punitive campaign. The next year, Sakamoto arranged for a meeting between Saigo Takamori and Okubo Toshimishi, both prominent leaders in Satsuma, and Kido Takayoshi, the man who had served as the liaison between the radicals and conservatives within Choshu. At this first meeting, nothing really came about, but Sakamoto was undeterred and devised a new scheme to facilitate an alliance between the two domains. Sakamoto Ryoma, ever the inventive one, founded a company known as the Kameyama Company in Nagasaki in late 1865. The Kameyama Company, also known as the Kayintai, was envisioned as half-trading company and half-private navy. It also has the distinction of being Japan's first corporation. The Kameyama Company is relevant to our narrative, because Sakamoto planned to utilize it to buy weapons from the West and transport them to Choshu in advance of the Bakufu's second punitive expedition. That way, by using Satsuma to indirectly aid Choshu, the Kamayama Company was subsidized by the Satsuma government, Sakamoto hoped to foster goodwill between the two. Ultimately, his plan worked. 
In the months that followed, Choshu was able to purchase, through the auspices of Satsuma, 7,000 European-produced rifles and a British steamer named the HMS Union, which was rechristened to become the Ichumaru. Later on, when Satsuma asked Choshu for rice from its storehouses to provision its troops, Choshu was more than happy to provide. The final details of the Choshu-Satsuma alliance were hammered out in secret over a few days in early March 1866. At these negotiations, Satsuma was represented by Saigo Takamori and Okubo Toshimishi, and Choshu was represented by Kido Tadayori. These three men are collectively known in Japan as the Three Great Nobles of the Restoration. The terms of the alliance were as follows. Choshu and Satsuma agreed to come to the aid of each other in the event of military aggression from the Bakufu. In the event that Choshu won the upcoming war with the Bakufu, Satsuma would work to secure an imperial pardon for the charges against them. In the unlikely event that Choshu should lose, Satsuma would still try to obtain said imperial pardon, since they were confident that Choshu would be able to hold out long enough for them to do so. Finally, the two promised to cooperate in the project of imperial restoration once they had overthrown the Bakufu. It goes without saying that the formation of the Satsuma-Choshu alliance, or the Sacho alliance as it is often called, was a major turning point in Japanese history. Never before in the history of the Tokugawa shogunate had two individual domains banded together against the central Bakufu. In fact, the entire Bakufu domain system had been set up with the express purpose of preventing such an eventuality. Now, the unthinkable had occurred, and it had effectively cemented the end of the Bakufu. Choshu's alliance with Satsuma paid off almost immediately. Using the rifles purchased from Sakamoto Ryoma's Kamayama Company, the Choshu troops, although they were mostly peasants and lower samurai, possessed a clear edge over the shogunate forces, who were mostly armed with antiquated muskets. Choshu forces also had a greater morale than the shogunates. The men of Choshu were backed up against the wall, fighting for their very survival against the forces of the decrepit, corrupt Bakufu and their allies, while multiple sources attest to the low morale among the shogunate troops. In March, just after the conclusion of the Satsuma-Choshu alliance, the Bakufu issued its final demands to Choshu. Per their demands, the daimyo of Choshu was to abdicate, and the Choshu domain was to be reduced to one-seventh of its current size. Choshu was confident of victory, and steadfastly refused the Bakufu's terms. By this time, however, shogunate forces had surrounded Choshu on four different fronts. To the east at Hiroshima, to the northeast at Iwami, Kokura to the east, and to the southwest at Kaminoseki. The second Choshu campaign kicked off on June 7, 1866, when the Bakufu's navy seized the islands of Oshima. Takasugi Shinsaku, the leader of the rebels during the brief Choshu Civil War, was in command of Choshu's navy, which at the time consisted only of some five ships, however, all constructed in the modern western style. Takasugi's fleet encountered the Bakufu's navy off the coast of Oshima. There were four ships total, three of which were modern, but all of which were much larger than even his biggest ship. Takasugi, demonstrating the boldness for which he was known, maneuvered his flagship into the midst of the enemy squadron in the dead of night and launched a surprise attack. The fight carried on for a day and a half, after which point the Bakufu's navy retreated and allowed Takasugi to recapture Oshima. Meanwhile, at Hiroshima, one of Takasugi's underlings, Kawase Yasuhiro, led Choshu's armies against the combined shogunate forces. Choshu easily repelled the shogunate's initial attack and launched a counterattack, penetrating deep into the Hiroshima domain 
before the daimyo of Hiroshima intervened on behalf of Choshu. On the northeastern front, Choshu troops effortlessly pushed into the domain of Hamada, prompting the daimyo of that domain to burn his castle and flee. Fighting broke out on the southwestern front some time later. The shogunate, with a foothold on the island of Kyushu, aimed to cross the vital straits of Shimonoseki and attack Choshu from there. Takasugi Shinsaku, having finished his naval operation, took command of the Choshu forces on the southwestern front. He launched a preemptive strike against the castle of Kokura on the Kyushu side of the strait. Only 1,000 Choshu men faced about 20,000 shogunate troops. But, thanks to all of Choshu's aforementioned advantages, their modern weaponry, their superior fighting spirit, and naval support from Sakamoto Ryoma's Kamayama Company, the much smaller Choshu force was able to seize the castle of Kokura. By late August, it had become clear to the Bakufu that their efforts to resubjugate Choshu had failed. Then, suddenly, on the 29th of August, tragedy struck. The shogun, Tokugawa Iemochi, who was directing the campaign from his headquarters at Osaka, died after a short illness. Tokugawa Yoshinobu was designated as his successor. His first act as the new shogun was to call off the Choshu expedition. The failure of the shogunate forces to secure victory over Choshu had exposed the weaknesses of the Bakufu for all to see. Across Japan, not only in Setsuma, Choshu, and Tosa was heard the rallying cry of Tobaku, down with the Bakufu. With Choshu and Setsuma now united against the Bakufu, it was only a matter of time before the other domains would now defect to their banner in the name of Imperial Restoration. And that is where I will leave things off for now. Be sure to tune in again in two weeks to watch what happens as the new Satsuma Choshu Alliance finally confronts the Bakufu on the field of battle. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or requests, please feel free to email me at historiadramaticapod at gmail.com or alternatively address such things to me via Twitter or Facebook, links to both of which will be in this episode's description. If you like this episode, please consider leaving a favorable review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer to use. Also, if you like this episode, please consider helping me keep the podcast up and running by either becoming a supporter on Patreon or by purchasing some used books from me on eBay. Anyway, until two weeks from now, this has been the Historia Dramatica podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening, as always. I'm your host, Willem Connor, signing off.